So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. This week we'll have a look over our victory against Wasps in the Premiership Cup. We'll look ahead to Friday night's game in the same tournament against Sale. Chat about our England internationals as well as our other internationals. Bit of rugby news and then a roundup of the local and national scorelines. As always, you can find us on social media. So um, on Facebook, it's simply... Uh, type in Falcon Falcons, you'll see our picture. And on Twitter, it is at Falcon Falcons. And once again, you'll see the same smiling picture of us. So the obvious place to start, I think we'll talk about the Wasps game. Um, very strong lineup on the team sheet. But I think that maybe the halftime scoreline especially didn't necessarily give us what we expected with that strong start in 15. Yeah, it was a pretty peculiar game. Um, I guess like many of these Cup games are, um, as you say, it was a it was a strong team, and I think a lot of us expected quite enjoyable viewing. Um, but in true Falcons format, form rather, it certainly wasn't comfortable. Um, it the way it played out was we had a, a lot of possession, a lot of territory in the first half, and we we had to work very hard to to get our tries, and especially the first try, we sort of butchered a couple of redis opportunities before then. Uh, eventually, it was helped that they got a sim bidding. I think just the extra man out wide meant that we were able to get in the corner. Um, but the old Falcons' failings of not dealing with the kickoff and our line-out was sort of pretty poor all night, really. I think only sort of about 50% success rate. Um, and combination of those kind of let Wasp back in it, and Wasp didn't really have any possession or territory apart from when we gifted it to them. And every time they got into our 20 in the first half, they looked like they were going to score. I think our defence wasn't that great. You never really, you never really had any confidence that we're going to sort of hold them out. And I mean, at the end, well, when it got to half time, they had the seven point lead. And that was really down to the fact that their tries had been under the post and they were much more kickable. And they also slotted a penalty over, but pretty disappointing stuff in the, in the first half. Um, as you say, despite having such a strong team, but it just didn't didn't really click, really, and uh, it was a bit worrying. Do you think that the strong team was an indicator that we're taking this tournament seriously, or the fact that we've got a hugely varied first-team squad this year, so we're familiar with a lot of names, whereas other years it might have been more of a, a stable first-team squad, or do you think it just shows that we've got the strength and depth that we keep talking about? Uh, I think it's part of all of those, really. I think we do have a stronger squad than we've had for, for some time. And I think that was reflected in the fact that in a competition like this, we did have out a strong squad. But I also think that we did have some players out there who we haven't really seen given much first-team game time this season. Um, so I think it's a combination of both. And that's really, I suppose, what this competition is about. And that's why it's probably a pool rather than a straight knockout, you know, like, like back in the Powdery Cup days or whatever. But I think it's kind of an element of all that, really. But on one hand, it's, it's good to see you know, such a strong team, but also it is good to see that these other players come through. And I'm sure the more these players play with each other in this competition and with each other generally, the better it's going to be. But I'd say in the first half, there was, it, it was pretty sloppy and there's a lot to work. There was a lot to work on there. For those that aren't familiar with the new faces, um, I think we had Smith playing at Hooker, is that right? And then we had, was it Montgomery in second row, who we've seen a bit of this season in the Premiership, not a huge amount. And then Hayden Wood at fly half, he eventually missed a couple of kicks, but there were trickier ones. Um, any particular performances that caught your eye? Well, it was Hodgson who actually played the majority of the game at a fly-off. Dalton was someone who I thought looked quite good in pre-season, actually, um, and I was quite surprised he hadn't 
really had any game time in the league and then he, he was he was fine I think it took a bit of time to kind of get into it um, he was one who I was sort of keeping an eye on because as I say I thought he was pretty good against Edinburgh and Doncaster <laughs> I think I was quite pleased with everyone probably would be quite pleased to see how well Tate did um, I was at Edinburgh and saw it's pretty it looked pretty bad injury but actually it obviously wasn't so bad but it's still nice to see him still picking up a brace of tries I thought Penny was pretty good at fullback um, Stevens again on the wing um, showed exactly what it was about just pure pace and nice bit of trickery really well taken tries yeah I thought also in the second half they did perhaps begin to gel a bit better but it was funny because it was sort of like the reverse of the first half so in the second half it was all wasps and it was us holding out but we're the ones who actually took our chances yeah I have to admit that I've only seen the highlights reel which has recently been released online I haven't seen the, the full game but after his couple of performances earlier in the season and watching him in the highlight reel I think Stevens is going to be a real handful for years to come. He's one of these players where you just kind of feel it, that he's going to be a very good player and get an awful lot of tries. I felt the same with Radwan a couple of years ago, when, when he first, more than a couple of years ago now, when he first came on the scene, he just sort of kind of had that, he had something about him and he just knew that he was going to be good. And then I feel exactly the same with Stevens. Have to hope we keep a hold of him. And um, I think that he's sort of player, if he doesn't start getting first team uh, appearances quickly, we may find that he ends up leaving the club because I think a lot of people will be queuing up to take him. Yeah, it's quite interesting that comparison with Um, In some ways, I think that's a good comparison in that there is a lot of raw talent there, raw being the sort of the, the, the key word there. But also I think it, it's slightly different because in some ways, I think perhaps he's more of a complete player. I think defensively, he's actually looks better than Radwan was at perhaps the same stage as Stevens is now. You know, he goes through games where you think he doesn't really put a foot wrong. I think the only criticism, and it's probably just a factor of his pace, is that often when he made breaks, there wasn't really much support around him. Perhaps he could have taken a slightly different line or whatever, but a lot of that is just you can't really help if you're going to be so much quicker than everyone else. And it just happens when you make the break. But generally, I thought in defence, under the high ball, everything, he was pretty solid. Now, I know that it's only the Premiership Cup, but even against Bath this season, didn't look out of place. And Against Edinburgh as well, who you know, we know a decent side again, looking really, really good. So you're right. I think we have got a real player on our hands. It'd be interesting because we've mentioned many times before about we have such a strong depth in terms of our wingers and how many opportunities is he going to get perhaps this season. Maybe he's one for the next season. But yeah, it's someone to definitely very much uh, keep an eye on. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of comparisons with Radwan, but I think they're actually different sorts of wings. Radwan's a bit more of your, your raw pace and has a bit more power about him, whereas Stevens, I'd say, slightly more the Shane Williams sort of stepper. He's obviously got good pace, but I wouldn't say he's out, outright pace is as quick as Radwan. But um, I think one-on-one, he, he just a sidestep, and we saw that again on the weekend. Elsewhere in the, the match, I, I know that when we were chatting about this over the, over the weekend, you said that the, the pack was not as strong as you thought it would end up being. Um, what, what do you think caused that? Was it numbers one to eight just weren't firing or were there particular areas where you felt there was a bit of a weakness? Difficult to tell. I just thought that Wasps had the better of us up front, really. Didn't think our forwards really got into the game in the way that we're used to. Um, it was it was quite funny because, of course, they're playing in red as well at home. And it was like, in many ways, I know it was completely different personnel, but it was like watching a completely different team. And I, just, I don't just mean that because it was different players out there. Just in terms of when you look at a Falcons team nowadays, you expect certain things and that just wasn't necessarily happening. And I think that was the case in the forwards. I thought with the backs, though, um, there were times where they did look very close to to doing very well. It was just sort of, you know, the, the odd pass here or the odd wrong, wrong decision there. 
But uh, as I say, I think it was quite funny how the second half was just seemed to be a complete opposite of the first half in that we we were sort of the ones holding out and it was us capitalising on what sort of little territory possession we had to, to, to get the tries in. To be fair to us, and I suppose to be fair to the forwards, our defence, I thought, got a lot better in the second half. And um, Wasps only scored three points in the second half, so we had a really good comeback to, to obviously win in the end, and that was obviously down to a better performance, build on a better defence, but also I think things clicking a little bit more in the back. So that was obviously nice to see in the end. But on the whole, it was a bit of uncomfortable viewing. But it's funny because, you know, there is six tries, our biggest score of the season. But, you know, it's a little bit unsatisfactory. But I think Mickey Ward's comments, if anyone gets a chance to read those on the website, pretty much sum it up in the in that you look at it, you look at it on a piece of paper, you look at the result, and think, oh, that's pretty good. But when you kind of step back and look at aspects of the performance, there was a lot to improve on. But it's only the first game of the Premiership Cup, and these players are sort of front, you know, front together. And uh, hopefully, it can only get better. But it's a, it's a five, you know, it's five points on the board already. So there we go. Yeah, you mentioned Mickey Ward's comments. Um, I think it's quite interesting to note that we've done this thing again where. Dean Richards has a couple of weeks probably fishing or something, and he lets the other guys crack on with it because there's a coaching setup of three this weekend. There's a coaching setup of a different three next weekend leading the game. And I think it's quite encouraging in a way that there was that half time turnaround. Obviously, means that either Wasps completely fell to bits, which doesn't seem like it was the okay. case. So we pulled our fingers out. And got, um, Mickey Ward threw his cup of tea against the wall or something and changed things around at half time. There's obviously something's gone on in that changing room and they've come out a different team in the second half. And it's encouraging that if the coaches have the guile and wherewithal to do this, that um, we've got strength and depth, not just in the t- squad, but in the coaching setup as well. Well, I think you could see in the first few minutes what they were trying to do. And I think, again, the strong personnel, I think the idea was to sort of blow wasps away early on because there was a lot of intensity and it was very quick in the first few minutes, but it just it was just that accuracy or slightly wrong decision-making, which meant that despite how, in many ways, how good we looked and how much possession we had, we just couldn't get the try until they'd had the sin binning about 10 minutes in or whatever it was. So I think you could see what they were trying to do. And I think it's maybe a combination of the coaches, but also some of the senior players who are out there probably did have a word of everyone and turn it around in the second half, even though actually the game plan, which I think they were trying to do, didn't even have in the second half, but the performance itself was was better. So that was encouraging. And, you know, it's it's all experience, isn't it? Uh, And hopefully they can just take that on to the next game on Friday. Yeah, speaking of the game, on Friday I'm, I'm not sure if it's televised or not um, the one at the weekend obviously wasn't and I, I think one thing that has to be said is it wasn't ruined by the video ref it seemed like the referee made a decision up with the, the tries blew his whistle and never got on with it as opposed to some of the internationals where we'll talk about them a bit later but they're plagued with video ref interference and um, it's quite nice sometimes just to have a game that flows a bit more um, on Friday night against Sale kickoff is it quarter to eight half past seven around then 7.45 7.45 and uh, obviously Still team unknown, but we assume it'll be along the lines of the, the one that featured on Saturday. I'd be surprised if McGuigan plays. He didn't play at the weekend, didn't get on. I think that um, Madison, if he's fit, will probably come in and take that spot. But I think Madison's carrying a bit of a knock at the minute, so that's why he wasn't in the uh, starting 15 or certainly on the bench. Uh, if we just have a quick chat about Sale, as is the case, they played a much weakened team, but I don't think they got on too well, did they? No, well, I mean, obviously they, they lost away to Leicester. A pretty close game, actually. Um, with that, I think Leicester actually were the better team in that and probably deserved to win it from the highlights I did watch. But you just can't tell this competition, can you? I mean, who knows what sort of team they'll play? They'll be at home. 
who knows what sort of players we'll put out. But what is really important is obviously we already have that five points and Sale actually, um, I don't think, have any points. So with Sale not having any points, obviously that already gives us uh, a five-point advantage in terms of the pool. So, uh, you know, the, these there's only a few games in the polls and it's so important to get these wins and I think bonus point wins. So if we are going to win, let's try and, I suppose it's obvious, but get that bonus point because um, I don't think losing bonus points are really going to matter much in this competition with so few games. It's all about just as long as you can get those wins. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's interesting and we'll just have to watch it and just kind of enjoy the game, I guess, or listen rather as I don't think it's on the TV. Yeah, and I think um, I was just trying to think the other day. When was the last time we scored that many tries at home? We've always talked about the performance being a bit lower than we'd expected, but I think we got six in the end, didn't we? When when was the last time you saw that? Well, certainly not this season. Um, but that, that was the point, really, in that you know we scored six tries. We should have scored a lot more, actually. And actually, the score should have been a lot more positive. It's just the, the kicking perhaps wasn't the best it's been. But despite six tries, still in many ways it was pretty unsatisfying which is it's you know quite a thing to say but I think we're going to see that in this tournament we're going to see quite a lot of tries whether it's scored or and conceded really yeah um, and then the other match this weekend that had a lot of interest obviously England I think like you I certainly wasn't happy with Eddie Jones's selection he sent it out on Thursday or Friday last week and you almost thought what on earth is this I'm looking at this is wrong two Lange on the wing and you Farrell at centre and no number eight and all the rest of it and you you just think what on earth is the man doing? As it happened, he kind of played with three centres. I say that because Tirulangi wasn't really a winger. He was just on the pitch. And Johnny May always seemed to be on the open side wing. So we played with one winger who was always on the open side. Whoever it was ended up defending blind side. And then we kind of had Tirulangi in the centre, although his name is the winger on the team sheet. It was a bit of an odd one. But um, what surprised me was uh, that Austria didn't pepper him with high balls as much as they perhaps... Um, were expected to. I, I, amongst others, was assuming that um, it'd be catching balls from 30, 40 yards in the sky all, all afternoon, but it didn't happen in the end. Then he put a couple on him early on and he fumbled one of them. Um, and then they, they stopped, but that's partly because they didn't really get the ball after that. Yeah, I mean, Australia kind of, I think, many ways have their own. It was sort of, you know, their own fault, really, and themselves to blame. They just gave away so many penalties, didn't they? And there's so many enforced errors. Was the scoreline a bit flattering at the end? I'm not sure if it was, actually. I thought England were pretty dominant for the whole game. And it was a case of, would Australia get back into it simply because of England screwing up rather than Australia sort of getting any sort of control or foothold in the game? I mean, we all know Australia do have the players to maybe sort of turn things on on occasion, but they just didn't re- kind of have the the fluency or kind of discipline to contain, well, to have any sort of continuous sort of pressure on England. And I think if England is sort of, perhaps, we've always talked about their discipline. And, uh, you know, you look at things like that Jamie George almost try, things like this, you know, if those had sort of gone England's way a bit more, then it probably would have been a lot more comfortable. But I think the scoreline, even though it perhaps was a little flattering in terms of England's overall performance, I think actually it was warranted, really. I don't think Australia really did themselves much favours. Name you just mentioned, Jamie George there he went off quite early in the second half and wore Jamie Blamire got on and um, once again what a performance took him a bit longer to score this time but um, he saved it, saved it to the last minute but um, he did a, a skillful missed tackle to let the Australians get all disjointed and then he he knew what was coming he knew that Simmons was going to turn it over and he he, he waited 40 yards up the pitch obviously no off sideline because a ruck hadn't formed and 
took all the glory by cantering in from 30, 40 yards, which will soon turn into 70 or 80 when he tells it in the pub. But um, once again, delighted to see that. I think he's broken all sorts of records of front rowers scoring on consecutive games and all the rest of it. But um, it's quite nice. I heard him actually do an interview for one of the first or few times I've ever heard him speak after the game, pinging around on social media a bit. There was him, uh, Quirk and Stewart, and all these kind of next generation, as they call them. It just seems like a, a genuinely nice group of guys. That's some plonker interviewing them but um it's quite nice just seeing them be normal people yeah i mean i thought he performed pretty well um of course that really his line outs weren't, weren't the best perhaps you've ever seen in the world uh, you know when he runs up and does his it's back for the ball and you think oh you know please just you know this one be a good one of course it doesn't it you think oh you know um but uh and apart from those couple of line outs uh, i thought this general plays really good for the breakdown put some really good tackles there was definitely getting around the pitch and to be fair he was there for Simmons. For, for Simmons' pass for the try and, you know, credit to him for that. Yeah, actually, I think if we look at it on face value, if he hadn't have got the try, it would probably be his worst performance in an England shirt. Not to say he played badly, I think he's played excellently every single time he's played for them. But, yeah, like you say, his line-outs weren't great. I thought he, I saw him miss a couple of tackles, actually, like the one I just mentioned just before the try. But I think in, in broken play, he was counter-rucking effectively and doing the stuff that isn't necessarily so visible to the cameras as the missed tackles and the not-straight line-outs. But, um, yeah, I think around the park, he put in a good shift and then Wartrev got on for the last five, ten minutes. Um, I don't quite know why he kept him on the bench for as long as he did. He only just got in the matchday squad, actually, because of um, Genge getting getting COVID, which is a bit of a surprise that Rod went straight into to the starting lineup via the bench until Genge missed out. But I think, once again, he didn't do anything wrong. The scrums that he... Oh, there are only a couple of scrums when he's on the pitch, but solid enough. And, um, yeah, I hope, hope to see him again this weekend. Yeah, if I'm talking about that... You know, he said, you know, a couple of good carries, a couple of good tackles, which, you know, if you're proper only on for 10 minutes, is really kind of as much as he can ask for, you know, really solid, which is what we've come to expect from him, really. And, you know, you just hope and I guess you do expect, but you do also hope that we are, we will see more of him in an England shirt in the coming year or so. Yes. And then finally, um, do we think we'll see Radwan this weekend? I don't know what Eddie Jones' plan will be for starting 15. I know that he mentioned they don't want to repeat the World Cup where, I know we've said it in the past in the podcast, we tried to out South Africa, South Africa, and it didn't work last time. It's not going to work again. I feel like we've actually got more of an athletic dynamic team than we did in the World Cup final, or certainly squad-wise. So it'll be interesting what his tactics are, whether he tries to mix it up a bit. Um, I don't know whether Farrell's going to be starting. He picked up a bit of a knock, it's been said. So it could be that Tirolangi's incentive was slayed. And then there might be that space further out for Radvan really to show us what he's got. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you really hope so. Um, but who knows with sort of Eddie Jones's selections, is it is does in his mind, is it, is it like horses for courses, which may be what he tried with Tirolangi against Australia. But we'll have to see it. I mean, I have absolutely every confidence. And I'm sure most listeners will have absolutely every every confidence. If he did start against South Africa, he'd be absolutely fine. Having him just slip in, no problem, and do an absolutely brilliant job. And I think, you know, could even get a try or two, whatever. I don't think there's any sort of fear about him. You know, this is supposed to be his first game against a big team. Nothing like that. I'm sure he'd be absolutely fine. Um, and it's just, of course, up to Eddie Jones's sometimes odd selection to see what happens with that. But um, I... It is nice to see, obviously, those three players and Chick still retain, at least in the training squad for this week. But yeah, we'll have to see what happens in terms of who's actually selected for the matchday squad. A, a bit of me was hoping that Eddie Jones' um, tactics were showing up at the weekend. Um, I was kind of hoping that Tirolaghi would drop 15 kicks that were put towards him. And it might be the, it's kind of the one of the final nails in the coffin at Eddie Jones' career. But he actually... Um, for all we complained about it, it seemed to work okay. Never lost to Australia, so I guess 
one of those things where you know he must know what he's doing after all. If we look elsewhere internationally, a couple of uh, Falcons players featuring for Italy and Argentina. We had Fusa and Carreras respectively. Carreras got a full game, or pretty much a full game, I think, and then uh, Fusa once again off the bench. But I think they both held their own in very respectable performances. I think. If we have to look at the game of the weekend, I think it has to go to the Wales-Fiji one. Fiji, fantastic start. And then as the Pacific Island teams tend to do, they get rush the head and thump somebody and end up down to 14 men for a good hour, which sure enough is what happened. And it was only really the last 10 minutes where they lost the game. Reese Samet blistering pace and a dawdling for G and changed that game on a sixpence. Um, and that, until that point, you thought, well, Fiji are down to 13 men again here, but they're doing all right for the minute. And then Reese Samet out of nowhere did a kick through that didn't go dead in time. And you got there ahead of the fullback. Yeah, I mean, it was a certainly an entertaining watch. Um, it's as you say, in terms of the, the sending off, is, is obviously is the main factor in that game. I think if they'd managed to keep 15 or 40 men or whatever it was going to be, um, then they, they would have, I think they would have won it actually. Um, I think Wales were very error strewn. They're trying to force things. You could see that they were starting to panic a bit. And it was only through a couple of sort of individual sort of brilliance or individual pieces of luck, which actually sort of brought it around. But you're right in that it was a really, really entertaining game. And it was a real shame actually. Um, sorry for any Welsh fans listening, but uh, it would have been absolutely brilliant obviously to see Fiji win that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I always kind of had the impression that I don't know the longer it went on I know Fiji kept going back and they kept going ahead but you just knew that it only takes you know a last minute second you know slip of concentration or something and you always thought Wales would get in and I guess unfortunately that's what happened and the scoreline was obviously very very flattering but you know it's unfortunate for these teams but they've got to learn haven't they it's as you say that this happens more often than not where you get these Pacific Island teams just sort of lose a little bit um, just you know get the man sent off they get the sin binnings uh, unnecessary sin binnings at really crucial moments and you know if they are going to try and get results against teams such as Wales, which perhaps are achievable, then you know that's something that they, they have to address. But it's a shame, but it was, if anything, an absolutely really cracking watch. One thing that I think we should probably discuss is, um, the last seven or eight minutes, there was eight points in it, and Fiji had a few penalties between the 10-metre line and 22. And at that point in the game, they were going for the corner. When you're eight points behind, my, my simple brain tells me, get the three... And then you've got as long as you want to get the additional try. Because I say that because the clock doesn't stop. Oh, sorry. You could spend 10 minutes with multiple kicks into the corner to get that final try if you've already just got the three when you've got been offered the penalty in front of the posts. Whereas Fiji went for the score now, get a drop, late drop goal or something to win it tactics. And to me, that always seems back to front because if, it, if you've got five minutes left and it's going to take you 10 minutes to score a try, then if you score a try before you want a drop goal, full time's been blown when you've scored your try. But if you take your kick straight away and then it takes you to 76 minutes to to start trying to score your try and then you've got 10 minutes and you can play six minutes of injury time and win it. I, I don't know. I, I, I know there's arguments on both sides, but to me, it was just one of these ones where even if they'd have got that try, they'd basically run out of time before they would have received the kickoff. Yeah, I mean, we talk about decision-making, don't we, in, in games? And you're right. So Sometimes it is just so tempting to try and go for the try, I guess. But 
you're right in that, you know, points win games and you have to, when points are on offer and you've only got a few minutes left on the clock, you've got to take the certainty of those points, surely. It's as you say, you know, the deficit's been reduced. You get the ball back from kickoff. You, you try and work the opportunity for the try. Even if the clock goes dead, as long as you've got the ball and, you know, worst give away penalties or whatever, you still get the opportunity to obviously try and get those tries. And the way the game went, you know, it's not out in the world of fancy that they could have got something at the end. But I think you're right. But, you know, we talk about even at the highest level, some of, some of the decision-making. And again, I think you're right there. And they, they should have taken the three points. Talking of decision-making, it was quite a funny instance in that match with Fiji's fantastic try in about the 50, 60th minute sort of time. I'm surprised. The, I'm actually surprised the video ref didn't ruin it, to be honest, because um, there was one of these cross-field kicks from, I think it was Bigger did it, and the Fijian fullback or winger caught it and called a mark when there was nobody anywhere near him. And he took a quick tap penalty and they did some phenomenal play and scored a try only Fiji could ever score. And then um, you look at the replay and he took the mark free kick from about five yards away from where he actually called the mark and they let it go. But considering some of the tries that have been disallowed by the video ref lately, I'm surprised that, that one stood. Seems to be a weekend when the video ref liked to get involved and for whatever reason they didn't bother in that instance. Um, all the home nations featured at the weekend with Scotland getting beaten. However, um, Ireland, is that three out of three against New Zealand now? Yes, sort of become a bit of a bogey team, really, for, for New Zealand. Um, yeah, it, it was, I mean, credit to Ireland. I mean, they obviously front, they, they fronted up and then they really took New Zealand on and they beat them in many ways all over the park. I know a couple of decisions sort of went their way, but, you know, it shows, again, I guess, I suppose, like us against New Zealand the World Cup, and that sometimes... In New Zealand, it just, just doesn't quite go right. And obviously there's this aura about them. He's to win almost every game, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, sometimes if you can sort of get in their face again, like England did um, the World Cup, then sometimes the wheels do come off a little bit. And I suppose credit to Ireland. I mean, they, they, they were brilliant. We'll see. Interesting. We'll see how New Zealand do, actually, because they play France, I believe, uh, this coming weekend. And the French were really up for that. So we'll see what sort of New Zealand turns up. I suspect New Zealand will probably play their best stuff. But that's going to be a real cracker. If anyone's give that one a watch, I reckon France, New Zealand, this coming weekend. Yes, yeah, certainly will be. That France, New Zealand's never a dull game. Although, knowing this, it'll be a six-all draw or something now. And just before we move on to the scores of the, the weekend, um, worth mentioning that the TV schedule has been released for some springtime or spring, late winter games. Um, a nice change in that Falcons haven't just been completely forgotten about this time. We've actually got both of our games in that period on TV because one of the one of the three weekends is our bye weekend. So um, I think one's against Exeter on a Sunday afternoon and the other one on a Saturday afternoon. Who's that one against? I can't remember right now. Yeah, so it's rounds 14 to 17 if you have your little fixture list handy. Um, so it's the home games against Gloucester and Exeter. So Gloucester is the round 14 game. So that's on Saturday, January the 29th. That's normal. Well, it's a 3 p.m. kickoff, even though it is televised. Um, and then for the extra game, which is round 17, uh, with Falcons having a buy in their round 16, uh, that's the Sunday afternoon game, which is rare nowadays, and that's on February the 20th. And again, that, that's a 3pm kickoff. Yeah, it'd be very interesting about that Sunday one, what the attendance is. I know the attendance is given as per tickets sold, but you assume the season ticket holds will turn up against Exeter. But um, on a Sunday afternoon, it'd be interesting whether... I don't know what the football's doing that weekend, whether there's a clash or not, but it would just be interesting whether there's a noticeable change in numbers either up or down from the usual three o'clock on a Saturday, which we're so accustomed to. Yeah, and I think also be nice for a selfish point of view. It means that those of us who play on a Saturday 
afternoon can actually play on a Saturday afternoon and go at the focus on the same weekend. So that, that'd be that'd be nice. I wouldn't have to juggle those two or pick one or the other um, for a weekend. Uh, so that's nice. And I, I hope, I really do hope there is a big crowd on the Sunday, actually, because I think that would send a good message to bring back Sunday games because... I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, well, I've already made my views clear. I'm not keen on Saturday, and people who I've spoken to generally aren't either. So let's hope we get more TV games from me on a Sunday, I guess. Oh, yeah. I still don't quite know why they're changing Friday night. My, personally, I quite enjoyed that start to the weekend. But um, there's obviously method behind all, all everyone's ideas. Um, everyone's got conflicting conflicting diaries and conflicting opinions on this one. Um, it's one of these ones where there'll never be a right answer for everyone. But um, I guess the main thing is that we get fans on the ground and everyone enjoys it and we see a victory. But anyway, that's in a few months' time. It's just that the fixtures are being released now. So um, there we go. Anyway, um, if we just go a quick roundup of the scores over the weekend. In the Premiership Rugby Cup in the South West Division on Friday night, Gloucester beat Bath 71 points to 10. In that same division on Saturday, Exeter lost to Bristol 27 points to 33. Worcester had their week off. In our pool, being the vaguely northern clubs, um, we obviously beat Wasps 34 points to 27, whilst Leicester lost, sorry, beat Sale by 32 points to 23, with, I think, Northampton playing their extra game this weekend against the team from the other pool being London Irish, where they lost 26 points to 36, and Saracens beat Harlequins 28 points to 31. On the international scene, um, we mentioned already the games, but the scorelines, Italy lost 37 points to 16 against Argentina, Scotland lost 15 points to 30 against South Africa, Ireland beat New Zealand 29 points to 20, and obviously we beat Australia 32 points to 15. Um, on Sunday, France beat Georgia. I don't really know what the point of that game was, but France unsurprisingly beat Georgia 41 points to 15, and Fiji came up close second, unfair scoreline, uh, 38 points to 23 against Wales. On the local scene, um, some quite high scores in the, the lower leagues, but we'll start off with the higher ones. Um, Darlington lost to Sale. That isn't the professional Sale, that's the traditional Sale. When they um, became a professional outfit, the amateur club stayed in the higher divisions, unlike Gosforth, who um, unfortunately didn't. In the League 2 North, um, Bladen lost to Hull, whereas Tynale lost to Harrogate. Alec had a fantastic win against Burnage and... I guess it could be called a derby. Billingham beating York, 35 points to 15. And then Morpeth beat Pocklington. Scarborough beat Concert. And Moulton beat Durham City. Points all over the place, as always, in Division 1, 2 and the 2, 3s. Um, I think score of the weekend has to go to Gisborough, who beat Wynn Leighton, 111 points to 7. Once again, Jerovians ended up on the wrong end of a cricket score against Walls End, 78 points to nil. So I think that brings it to an end. So as always, thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.